All right, well, as you are standing, I'd like to read a passage of scripture that's going to guide us in our message today. It's found in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is God's word to us. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. God, thank you for your word and for what you are wanting to teach us and what you're wanting to speak to us in these moments from your precious word. And we open our hearts to you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak. You know each person here. And we pray, we ask you to apply your word to each one of our hearts, God. That you would change us, you would transform us through your spirit. So we, we offer ourselves to you. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and uh, take a seat if you would. So hello, everyone. Really glad all of you are here. We are in the second week of a teaching series in which we're talking about how we can experience loving, healthy relationships. Now, not only is this series something that God has laid on my heart for our church, it's also very much a reflection of my own journey with Jesus. One of the things that I was completely oblivious to in my first several years, really, of, of following Jesus is that you can't separate spiritual maturity from emotional maturity. See, early on, I had this idea in my head that spiritual maturity was all about Bible knowledge, how much Bible knowledge you had, and how often you went to church, and how long you prayed, and how well you used the spiritual gifts that you were given. So I did all of those things. I did all those things. But what I didn't realize was that in the midst of that, there was another critically important aspect of spiritual maturity that I was completely missing, the capacity to love the capacity to love. As the Apostle Paul made clear in, his, in the words I read just a moment ago, a person can have the entire Bible memorized and they can teach amazing, moving, eloquent sermons and they can have a faith that moves mountains when they pray. But if they don't know how to love, they're nothing. See, God seems to have a very different measurement for spiritual maturity than we do. Not how many Bible verses we've memorized or how many theological arguments we can win. No, God wants to know this. How well do you love? How do, how do we love? How well do we demonstrate a love that is patient or that is kind, that doesn't envy, a love that honors people rather than tearing them down, a love that, that rejoices with the truth and always protects and trusts? See, here's the reality. We can attend church for years and go to Bible studies every day of the week 
and have regular prayer times and memorize scripture and yet not love very well. This is the story of so many marriages, so many Christian marriages that are distant and disconnected. This is the story of so many relationships between children and, and, and parents or coworkers or friendships. We just assume, we just assume that because we have Jesus in our heart, our relationships will be healthy, healthy, but often they're not. We get stuck in these negative relational patterns that we can't seem to break free from. No matter how many marriage conferences we attend or new relational tips that we employ. So what's, what's the problem? Or actually maybe a better question is what's the solution, right? What's the solution? Through a lot of pain and therapy, um, I eventually discovered a biblical truth that we often lose sight of or completely ignore. And here, here's, here's the principle. When it comes to relational challenges or difficulties, we have got to look beneath. We've got to look beneath. As we talked about last week, the foundation for healthy relationships is the heart. Learning how to be attentive to the negative emotions that we're experiencing, the, 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 the emotionally broken places within us, because what happens is when we, when we stuff those things, when we stuff our emotions, when we ignore our anger or our disappointment or our sadness, those emotions, they don't go away or disappear just because we ignore them. No, they actually become, they become like a, a warm, humid Petri dish waiting for a virus to find it. The, these negative emotions become places for lies and other yuckiness to get established in our hearts and to grow, which will continue to damage our relationships for decades, for decades. So God invites us to experience emotionally healthy relationships. And that begins by us being emotionally healthy, right? Which means looking at our own hearts, looking beneath the surface of our lives. So if you missed last week's message, I strongly encourage you to listen to it on our app or website. Listen to it. It's, it's foundational. Well, today, we're going to look at a, kind of a, a related factor, but it's another factor that keeps us stuck in negative relational patterns, and that is our past. Our past. Whether we like it or not, all of us are significantly shaped by our past. Who you are today is shaped by where you came from. See, one of the most significant influences in, in our lives, one of the most significant influences is our family of origin. Not just your parents, they're included, but also your extended family and also going back a few generations. So I, I, read a, I recently read a, a quote from a sociological expert who pointed out that in our culture, our culture tends to focus on the individual and downplay the influence of families. And here's how this works. So if, if you don't get along with your parents or, or they don't like your way of life, just move, move away, right? Move to California. See them once a year at Christmas. But, but the reality is you can't just move beyond your family's influence, even if you move away geographically. At, at, at a deepest level, we are a part of all that we have been and all that our families have been. And this includes good things. This includes good things that we've experienced in our families, certain values that we embraced, good values that we embraced, but it also includes negative things. Unhealthy relational patterns of withdrawal or anger or infidelity 
or criticism or abuse or sarcasm or passive aggressiveness. I could go on and on. No family is perfect. In every family, there are dynamics and influences that are spiritually unhealthy. And these things become a part of who we are. But often, we are unaware of this. We're we're unaware of it until that horrifying moment when you hear coming out of your mouth something that your father said to you growing up, something you swore you would never say to your children. I mean, no matter how hard we try to move beyond or ignore our past, our past shapes who we are in the present. Now, here's here's the good news. As Peter Scazzaro um, states in his excellent book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, fantastic book. It's kind of the basis for this series. He says this, the great news of Christianity is that your family of origin does not determine your future. Your past does not determine your destiny. See, in Christ, we have the power to break free from these generational influences that are negatively impacting our relationships. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I want us to look together. We're going to kind of start, or actually guiding us this whole message. We're going to look at a, a vivid example of this in the Bible where we see some unhealthy relational patterns that are literally passed on to three generations, to three generations until someone finally stops the cycle. So we're introduced to this family in the book of Genesis. So I'm going to be summarizing like 38 chapters, okay? Uh, so so um, you may want to read this later, um, but we're going to do, I'm going to summarize a lot of material here. So it starts with a well-known figure named Abraham, a man who demonstrated incredible faith, right? But he also has some issues. Um, he has a problem with fear, which led to deception, lying to Pharaoh, telling Pharaoh that Sarah was not his wife, but she was his sister, because he was afraid that Pharaoh would kill him. So Abraham was willing to put his wife's well-being in danger to save his own skin. And he actually does this two different times. Both times, thankfully, God rescues Sarah from harm. But then, because his wife Sarah couldn't get pregnant, he had sex with one of his servants who had a son. Well, when Sarah finally does have a son as well, Abraham favors Sarah's son over the other son, which leads to all sorts of pain and conflict. That's Abraham. Well, Abraham's son, Isaac, grows up. He gets married to Rebekah, and guess what? He does the exact same thing to his wife. He lies to a local king, telling him that Rebekah is his sister, again, to save his own skin. Well, then he and Rebekah have twin boys. Esau was firstborn and grew up to be a skilled hunter, a man of the field. Whereas Jacob, the secondborn, didn't connect with outdoors stuff. He had other interests. Now, Isaac loved eating wild game, and so he naturally connected with Esau, not with Jacob. So very soon, Esau becomes dad's favorite. Sound familiar? Abraham had done the exact same thing. And this wound created in Joe's, this, this wound that was, that was created in J- Jacob's heart was huge. It was huge. Jacob never felt his father's love and acceptance for who he was. Even though, if you know the story, he tried to deceive his dad 
to get his dad to speak a blessing, but he knew in his heart that blessing was really for Esau. He was just deceiving him. His heart wound was never healed. When you read his story, it's tragic, but he spends his whole life trying to find that acceptance in other things, in business success, in women, in sex. He has children with four different women. So now Jacob has 12 sons by these four different women. One would think that, given the incredible heart damage that that his father's rejection caused him, One would think that Jacob would not do that to his own family. That he would not choose to to love one son over the other. He would choose to love his sons equally. But no. He sets his affection on only one of his many sons. His son Joseph. He makes Joseph his favorite. Giving him a special coat of many colors. And in doing so, he unleashes this virus of jealousy and hatred in his own family. The brothers, if you know the story, the brothers choose to sell Joseph into slavery and then they lie to their dad. They go back and they lie to their dad, telling him that Joseph was killed by a wild animal. See, all of these negative relational patterns just keep getting passed on in this family, generation after generation after generation. Deception, Rejection, jealousy, manipulation, misogyny, sexual morality, hatred, violence. Now, at this point in the story, something absolutely amazing happens. Joseph, who has been sold into slavery, he refuses to be defined by these negative things in his past, no matter how many decades and generations they've gone on. He refuses to be defined by these things. He begins, he actually begins taking steps that break the power of these destructive generational patterns, and instead he charts a new course for his life and his family. So from Joseph's example, I want us to look at Joseph now. From Joseph's example, we learn how we too can break free from these negative relational influences of our past. Now, the first thing we learn from Joseph is that in order to break free from our past, we have got to look honestly at how our past is impacting our present. We've got to look honestly at how our past is impacting our present. So after Joseph was sold into slavery, he ended up as an attendant to an official in Pharaoh's court, um, Pharaoh's government, but then he was falsely accused of something and he was sent to prison. So for over 10 years, he's in prison for over 10 years. We don't know a lot of details about that season, but we do know, we do know that in that context, Joseph had lots of time to think about his past. So later on, when he sees his brothers, they initially don't recognize him. When he sees them, he's overcome with emotion. So Genesis 45, verse 2, and he wept, Joseph wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. He'd ask everyone to kind of clear the room. But they heard him from another room, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. See, this is a man who is not running from his pain. He's not running from the pain of his past. He's actually willing to explore it. He's willing to feel it. He is willing to face the suffering that he had experienced. See, as philosopher George Santana has has said, those who cannot learn from their past are doomed to repeat it. 
See, a, a critical first step, this is so important, a critical first step in breaking free from our past is in looking honestly at our past and how it impacted us, especially in those areas where we feel stuck in negative relational patterns. So Raylene and I had this recurring conflict in our marriage that has to do with food. So it surfaced a few days before Christmas, just several weeks ago, um, this, this past Christmas. Raylene found this recipe for spiced nuts that she thought I would really enjoy. Now, I didn't know that she'd made it. I didn't know anything about it. Didn't know she was making this. But it was sitting out on the counter when I, when I came home. And she was on the phone in the kitchen. <clears throat> and so I put some in my mouth. I was expecting sweet, and uh, instead it tasted spicy. And so I made some comment about it, like, who brought us this? It's burning my mouth. Okay. Um, well, immediate, I immediately knew I had hurt her feelings. Um, she got quiet, and she kind of left the room, and she was mad, and she was hurt. And I, I was thinking to myself, here we go again. Can't I not like something she makes? Why does she take this so personally? It's just food. It's just food. Um, and so we kind of kept our distance all evening. Well, the next day, um, we started to talk about what had happened and realized, we realized that what happened the day before was not about the recipe for spiced nuts. It was about both of our pasts. So you see, I'm a picky eater. Um, and I, I will not eat things that I, I don't like. And, and I'm the baby of my family. Um, so I got away with this a lot. Um, in fact, uh, when, I, when we were dating, I took Raylene to my grandparents' home um, for dinner, and my grandma, my German grandma, made birox, <clears throat> this German dish with meat and cabbage. <clears throat> and I, I didn't like birox. Um, and so as my grandma is bringing out these birox, she also brings out two cheeseburgers for me. Uh, yes, yes. And Raylene was like, this guy is totally spoiled. Uh, and she was right. And she married me anyway, right? Uh, she knew what she was getting into. Um, but anyway, so anyway, for me, it is not a big deal to be at someone's house and not eat all the dessert that they give me because I don't like it. Um, it is not a big deal for me to be spitting out pieces of gristly meat or whatever if we're eating, you know, with someone. That's just me with food. Raylene grew up in a home where food was a love language. Um, in fact, one of the ways that her heart felt love and affirmation in her family was by cooking and hearing compliments about that. So as we were talking, the day after this conflict, we were talking about this, and Raylene told me how, after she had kind of processed in prayer what had happened the day before, she realized, this is what she said, she said, Alan, food is not just food to me. It's, it's at the core of my identity. It's at the core of my value. So when you don't like something I cook, I feel devalued and unloved as a person. See, suddenly we realize why we keep having this recurring conflict over food. This, that argument in our kitchen on December 21st, that, 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 that argument has decades of history behind it. Decades of history behind it. We just didn't realize it until we started to look honestly at our past. See, if you find yourself stuck in a negative relational pattern or a recurring conflict in some relationship, you just, it just keeps coming up, you just find that happening, I would urge you to say, take some time and look honestly at how your past may be fueling that in some way. Just honestly look at it. 
that maybe your past is fueling that in some way. Don't, don't tell me you come from a long line of amazing, you know? If you have a belly button, you have family issues, okay? Um, seriously. I mean, th- th- there are negative things that have been passed on to all of us, to all of us. And they're impacting your relationships. So let's just admit that and look honestly at our past rather than trying to ignore it or move away from it or run from it. Let's look honestly at how our past is influencing us in the present. Okay, second thing, the second thing that Joseph models for us um, is to welcome Jesus into the present experience of our past. Now, obviously, Joseph didn't know about Jesus, but he did know about God. And throughout Joseph's entire story, in prison and then his his promotion, we are repeatedly told something. Look at Genesis 39, verse 20. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Verse 23, three verses later, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. See, Joseph experienced the Lord's presence in the midst of, of the pain of his past. See, the reality is you can't change your past, but Jesus can change how you experience your past. You can't change your past, but Jesus can change how you experience your past in the present, right? When we invite Jesus' presence into places in our past that are impacting our present, that can actually begin to change a negative relational pattern in our lives. This is so powerful. This is so powerful. So when Raylene and I experienced that conflict several weeks ago, she went to prayer, she went to Jesus with it, and he is the one who gave her insight into why my words hurt so much. She was like, what is this about? What is this about? She began to explore that. And then in that place of realization, Jesus was able to speak truth to her heart. She was able to welcome Jesus into that place. He was able to speak truth to her heart about how her identity is not based upon people liking her cooking, um, but it's based upon his love for her, that she's his beloved daughter. Nothing can change that. So he was able to speak truth to her. And then I, in knowing this then, after our conversation, I was able to apologize, able to understand, first of all, what was going on and how what I thought was not a big deal was a big deal. And so then I, I was able to apologize for the hurt that I had caused, not knowing that my words that I were just about spice nuts, my words were actually hitting a core part of her identity. I didn't even know it at the time. But I was able to then apologize for it. I could see it and understand what was happening. A friend of mine grew up in a home um, where his dad loved his brother more than him, which sounds like Genesis, right? And the emotional pain and impact of that in my friend's life was huge. But he stuffed all that for decades. He stuffed it for decades. And then his marriage fell apart. So we finally started looking at why he had such a hard time connecting emotionally with people. And through prayer and therapy, it it, it brought him to this place of seeing and acknowledging this huge gaping wound from his father. This pain of never feeling like he was enough, never feeling like he was a man, 
And, and Jesus met him in that place and began to speak truth to his heart about his belovedness as a child of God and how Jesus values him and delights in him. It is amazing. It is amazing what God is doing in my friend's heart over the past several months as he has been able to and willing to welcome the presence of Jesus into these places of pain in his past. Pain that he'd been running from, ignoring for decades. He's like a new person, really. He's like a new person. He's able to connect relationally in ways that he never could before. As, as Pastor Greg Boyd says, a wound that is concealed can never be healed. A wound that is concealed, no matter how long ago it happened, a wound that is concealed can never be healed. So Jesus can bring his love and truth into these painful memories in our past, into these painful places in our past, um, so that our lives can be transformed in the present. Our lives can actually be transformed in the present. Now here's the really cool thing. When you go back to a memory or a place of pain in your past, you don't have to go there alone. You don't have to go there alone. You can go there with Jesus, and you can also go there in community. Part of our vision as a church I shared a couple weeks ago is to be a thriving family, it's to be a thriving family, to help each of us, help us walk, help really where we can walk with you through this as a church, church family, we can walk with each other through these things. So we have a number of resources soul care resources to help you experience Jesus in these places in your past and to not have to do it alone. One is an inner, inner healing prayer ministry called um, Hope Abounds where someone will meet with you and just pray with you and, and will help you welcome Jesus into these places of pain, these painful memories, these lies you believed or whatever. You, if you feel stuck, you feel like there's just something in your past, Hope Abounds, sign up, you can call the church it's a free ministry. You can call the church to make an appointment. We have another ministry called Paths to Hope, where a person will actually walk alongside you in this journey for several weeks, just kind of walk along with you in this. There are counselors that we can help point you towards, counselors in this area that we can point you towards. Please let us help you in this journey. We all need it. We all need it. There is not one person in this room who doesn't have issues in your past that are impacting you in the present. There's not one person here that doesn't have things in our past that are negatively influencing us in the present. So you don't have to go, you don't have to go back to the past alone. You can go with Jesus and with a loving community. This loving community. <clears throat> There's something... <clears throat> Something amazing happens near the end of this story with Joseph. Because of a famine, his brothers come to Egypt to get food, and Joseph is the one in charge of dispensing food, and he immediately recognizes them, but they don't, they don't recognize him. Now, here, here's the deal. You can imagine Joseph in this place, all the, the, what his brothers had done to him, and he could have made life miserable for them, right, as a way to get back at them for all the pain they had caused and folks, that, that's what bitterness in our hearts will do. That's what bitterness will do. It will cause us to hold on to an offense. And in doing so, 
it not only poisons our own heart, but it ends up poisoning all of our relationships. And so what happens is the cycle of pain just continues. Oh, we think, you know, bitterness feels really good to hold on to, but it poisons our own soil and it poisons our relationships. Is it really worth that? Is it really worth that? It's not. So Joseph doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He, he gives them the grain that they requested. I mean, then later on, there's a kind of a long story about a couple times they visited and all that stuff. But then later on, he, he, he finally reveals to them who he who really, really is, that he is Joseph, their brother. He, for, he forgives them for all that they had done. In other words, he just, he lets go of his right to retaliate, leaves that with the Lord. That's what forgiveness is. It's canceling a debt. It's not forgetting. It's not ignoring. It's, like, it's saying, hey, this, this really hurt me. This really hurt me. But I am choosing to bring this to the cross and leave it there. That's what forgiveness is. It is our choice to cancel a debt. And in doing so, we think we're setting the other person free. We're actually setting our own hearts free. And, and in this context, the impact is huge. So he forgives them for all they've done, realizing that he realizes now God had been at work, even in the midst of all their evil actions, God had been at work. He hugs them, he, he weeps over them. And then we read this, he actually says, and this is so powerful, we, we sing a song, um, we've been singing a song recently that has this in it. Don't be afraid, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. See, this is God at work in Joseph's heart. This is God at work in Joseph's heart. His decision, listen very carefully, his decision to forgive his brothers broke the cycle of pain and jealousy that had been going on for generations. Think about that. Joseph's decision to not hold on to bitterness, but to forgive his brothers, actually broke the cycle of pain and jealousy that had been going on for generations. One decision, huge impact. Huge impact. When we welcome Jesus into these places of pain, into these negative relational patterns from our past, he is able to do amazing things. He is able to break these generational patterns that have brought destruction for decades and instead bringing wholeness and, and healing and forgiveness. Now, there's one other thing that Joseph does in this story to break free from the negative influences. So one, just acknowledging our past, right? It's wel secondly, welcoming Jesus, and both those are critical there's one other thing he does to break free from these influences. It's something we can do as well. Choose new relational patterns. Choose new relational patterns. Remember how favoritism had been an issue in this family line for four generations, right? And it had caught how much damage it had caused. You got Isaac, you got Jacob, tons of damage. Well, like his grandpa Isaac, Joseph also had two sons. Manasseh and Ephraim. And when his father Jacob comes to live in Egypt, Joseph takes his sons, he takes both of his sons to his dad for his dad to bless them. 
Now remember, Jacob had been the one, he had been on the receiving end of a dad who refused to speak blessing over him, but would only bless Esau. So he had been on the receiving end of, of, the, 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 of not getting the father's blessing. But now Joseph has the power to break that pattern, and he does. He sees that both of his children receive a blessing from their grandpa. Both of them. It's like this, Joseph is saying, this stops right here. This favoritism stuff. And he was the one on the, Joseph, of course, was the one who was on the favored status, but he's still he's saying, this stops. Because he had seen the impact it had. This is going to stop right now. And so he brings both of his sons to receive Jacob's blessing. I was talking with a young couple in our church recently who both grew up in families that didn't know Christ and they had generational patterns of addiction and financial debt and divorce and emotional immaturity and anger and on and on and on. That was the, leg the only legacy this couple knew. But then they both met Jesus. They're now following him intentionally and the difference is profound. They are, they are learning to love each other the way Christ loves them. They're learning how to love their kids. They're, they're learning how to be financially wise. They're growing in their prayer life and in their faith. They are choosing to not let their past determine their future. They are choosing to establish a new legacy of living with Jesus at the center of their lives. Now, please hear me. This is really important. This is not about blaming our parents. That's what you're hearing. No, no, no. This is not about blaming our parents. This is not about blaming our family, blaming our past so that we're the victims and we're just going to carry around this victim status. No, no, no. That's just going to keep you stuck in your past. If this is just about finding fault and blaming your family, that's not what this is about. See, what Jesus offers us in the gospel is a way to actually break free from the negative influences in our past. Not by running from our past, but by facing it, by welcoming his presence into it, and by choosing to follow him, establishing new, life-giving relational patterns of love and blessing. That's the life he invites us to experience. And the gospel enables us to experience. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. God, I, I am pretty certain that there are some painful things that are being stirred in people's hearts. And I just want to acknowledge right up front here, we need you. We ask you to give us the courage to look honestly at our past to not run from it, to not just try to move on from it, act like it never happened, but to actually look honestly at it and to celebrate what was good, but also to see where unhealthy relational patterns or pain are impacting us in our present. And give us a, give us a wide lens here to realize, man, the things that maybe we experience from our parents and we think about their parents and that's exactly what they experience from them and so this pattern that has sometimes has continued for generations would you just help us see these things 
So I want to just take a moment and ask Jesus to show you maybe one pattern, one area, maybe a memory or a negative relational pattern from your past that is impacting you in the present. So Holy Spirit, would you just show us, show us one, there's one pattern that's impacting us in the present from our, from our past. Now, we obviously don't have time to work through that right now with this many people in a room and, you know, and, and all of that. So here's what I want you to do. Though. I want you to, I want you just to ask Jesus, say, Jesus, how do you want me to process this further? Maybe it's my anger. Maybe it's my critical spirit, my sarcasm, whatever it is. Or maybe it's just a cycle of addiction, whatever it is. But how, Jesus, just ask him, how do you want me to process this further? What do I need just to move forward with you in this? And what I mean by that, it may be hope abounds. It may be past hope. It may be just calling up a friend and processing some of this. It may be just some time alone with Jesus in prayer where you start thinking about some things that you hadn't thought about in a while. And you're just welcoming him into that place to speak truth to your heart to bring forgiveness, all those things. So I just, just, it may be any of those things, but let's just ask him, Jesus, how do you want me to process this place of pain or this negative pattern in my past? So, Lord, I just want to pray for courage right now. I pray for courage for each one of us. This is, it's, it's no fun. This is no fun to look at painful things in our past, but it is so important. And so we thank you that we don't do this alone. We can do it with you. We can do it in community. I just pray that you would show us what this looks like and that we would be able to acknowledge our past, to welcome you into these places and experience healing and wholeness and truth and life. And then we would be able to choose new relational patterns. No matter how old we are, it doesn't matter. We can start with your help to choose new relational patterns. Help us do that, God. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, you would be bringing emotional health to us as a church, to us as individuals, to our families, our workplaces, as we explore some of these things that are kind of hard to look at. But again, thank you that we don't do this alone. We love you, God. We love you, God. So what we want to do, really, we're just, the worship team is going to take it in just a moment. And we, we just want to create space here where we, an environment where we can respond. I think this is the most important part of the service. It's not the message. It's just information. This is when we can welcome Jesus into some of these places and process things he's stirring in us. And so we want to create space for that. Um, so there's a prayer team that's available at the back. You can kneel sides if you want. You can just remain seated in your chair and let the worship team sing over you. You can begin singing. 
But let's just, we just want to create this space where we are free to respond to whatever the Spirit is doing. So Jesus, we love you. We love you. We welcome you here. Set us free to worship you. Set us free to look at things in your presence. Whatever you're doing here, God, we just, we just want to stay here, stay present here. We love you, God.